welcome to Slayerfest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and joining me as my lovely co-host, she is a poet, a doctor, a professor, and my best friend, Kimberly Ann Southwick. Hi, Kim. Hi, so happy to be here and so happy to have our two guests with us today. We have senior reporter at BuzzFeed News, Ellie Hall. Hi, Ellie. Hello. And we also have staff writer for The New Yorker magazine, Emily Nussbaum. Hello. I'm so happy to have both of you here. We're going to be discussing Buffy Season 7's Lies My Parents Told Me. But before we get into that episode, Ellie, do you want to give us your Buffy origin story? I would love to. Um, (laughs) So my Buffy origin story is that I was in my my first year of college and I took I had to take an intro to television studies class to fulfill one of the requirements for like my language arts umbrella major. And um, we watched an episode of Firefly like like during one of the uh, classes. And I had never seen any television like that before. And I went, who is this? Who's the person who made this? Mm -hmm. I watched all of Firefly. I watched Serenity. And then I fell into Buffy. And it's been the most, uh, it's been the show that's had the most impact on my life. I switched majors so that I could study television studies. And I spent two years working on an honor thesis about Joss Whedon. And I got my college to pay for me to go to Comic-Con, which remains one of my uh, biggest accomplishments. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Ellie, the first time I ever had someone like go to comic the first time I ever went to Comic-Con for free was the year we worked Comic-Con together for BuzzFeed. That was that was such a great time and I was so tired at the end of it, but it was glorious. It really was, right? <laughs> I remember we in, I interviewed uh who was it? Lucy Liu and Johnny Lee Miller. I recorded it and then the video card said file corrupt and it deleted the whole video interview and I wanted to die, but it was a fun weekend. <laughs> um so uh Emily Emily, you've been on for pretty consistently since uh, season five. You, when I asked you what season seven episode you picked, this one. But tell us, uh, you okay, thought well. It- <laughs> okay, so the reason I picked lies my parents told me is that I thought it was conversations with dead people. <laughs> Just flat out, like they have a similarity in terms of the yeah. the the, the, st- the name of them sounded similar to me, and I hadn't watched season seven in forever, and so I kind of just conflated them into my head. And I remember conversations with dead people very fondly. So I was extremely surprised to watch this episode. But I have to say it is a fascinating episode. And once I started watching it, um, I remembered what was powerful about it. Um, I I do think season seven is a pretty messy season of television. (laughs) But um, and, And this is a not the greatest episode in the history of Buffy, but the parts that are good are... Yes. Extremely pungent and strange and sort of shook me up rewatching them. Yeah, same. And also, hilariously, I thought that this was conversations with dead people too. When yeah. Ian, you come on. I love this. I love this fact. I just find that so funny. The the fact that two people, there's something clearly about this that just uh it's like a Ben is glory situation where, <laughs> where, where the minute you hear one title, it just switches to the other title. Well, it's funny because when I when I DM'd Ellie and I, I told her about the episode, and she was like, Oh my god, and what a good episode to have me on. I was like, that's so weird that they both love this episode so much. All right, that's cool. <laughs> We're just huge Robin Wood fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so this episode opens we've already gotten the info that like in previous episodes that Robin's mother was Nikki I they recast because apparently the person they had cast as Nikki in the Fool for Love was just like a a stunt 
person. So they wanted to cast like an actor. Um, I do think, I do think she's really good. Um, did it like throw any of you? Do you remember watching it and being like, wait, who's this? I mean, it didn't throw me. I, I, I mean, I think she's fine in the role. She has a lot of charisma on screen, yeah. but it is, it, it is sort of a frustrating thing because when I look at Robin's backstory, I feel like in an abstract way, it works great, <laughs> but <laughs> in practice, it feels kind of dead to me. It's oh, just, really? Yeah, I, it's never really. I, I, he's a, it, it. It makes complete sense. He's planted at the beginning of the season. Then it turns out that Nikki was his mother. The story of what happened with Nikki is really tragic, and it has this incredible potency because of that that scene that we've seen from the past. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Like there are moments that work, but it all feels kind of artificial to me. Even when I watched the episode, and I think the kid by the way, who played the young Robin was terrific because he mm-hmm. just has this very brief moment, but it's very poignant and it's not oversold and it's terrific. But I'm just, I'm just being frank. Like it, it's yeah. one of these things where it's like, it, I feel like I should, <laughs> I should <laughs> like it. And they've sort of done the work of plotting it out, but it never, it never pops to me as a story. And I often forget about it. Um, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. The only the only sort of thing about this plot point that I remember when I watched the first time, I was like, ooh, this is this is a good line. And it was actually in the previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer for this episode when he comments on Spike's coat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got it in New York. Yeah. Like, that was a cool moment. But mm-hmm. mm. uh, Kim, what do you think? <sighs> I mean, I guess I also have to admit that it's not a plot point from this season that I remembered very well. Um, and considering it's such a big deal to a character who, you know, is important to season seven, um, it didn't, I didn't, it didn't strike me as, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? It didn't necessarily strike me as not working though for me in the same way that it seems to have struck Emily for sure. You know, I I have to say part of it is just in the doing of it. Like, like I, I I love the, who's the actor who plays Robin? I think he's really good. Um, DB Woodside. Yeah. I, I think he's wonderful. I, I think yeah. I, I think he I think he's warm. I think he's attractive. I think he's yeah. like has great charisma on screen. Like I think it's good casting. So I, I'm so always sort of surprised that it doesn't work for me. But <laughs> there's a scene in this where he's holding the spike at the beginning, and Spike comes up and he's like just waiting for the right moment. And I was like, come on, <laughs> like, like, it's, like a, it's like it doesn't trust the viewer for a second that we will understand that he's at that line too for sure yeah it struck me as like we we kind of we could have figured that out on our own for sure i thought it was really dramatic um like the first shot before the credits begin with like he's clutching the stake so hard blood is running down his face right right and i thought that from the fact that he we have seen the flashbacks and that he's running clutching the stake so hard the play that we could probably figure out that he's restraining himself and wants to kill spike like i didn't think we had so i actually felt enormous sympathy for the actor because i was like who could deliver this line and have it work so at that point in the episode as i was rewatching, i was like wow i really should have picked conversations with my because i was like this is not working but then the the this I felt like this episode picks up and becomes very powerful. Um, yeah, but it, at the very beginning of it, it was sort of confirming in this condescending way my most like dismissive feelings towards season seven, and then I felt like it it clicked and came together. <laughs> I so, think that the flashbacks and the flash forwards, and that we get all three time periods, and a lot of the parallels that I'm sure we'll talk about really right. help it uh, come together outside of yeah. that. 
those first scenes. Yeah. You know, I was, uh, yeah, I was going to, when we, I mean, we'll get there, but like, you know, everyone's a writer in this recording. So I was going to like, I, I do think that writing is pretty tight with the going back and forth. It's a good standalone episode. Like from, even if you've never seen Buffy, you can sort of be dropped into this episode and, and see it. the whole arc happening. Yeah. 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 Especially in the Spike stuff, it's pretty amazing because you actually, there, he has a very complicated timeline and a lot of it has come through yeah. in other flashback episodes from literal <laughs> seasons before, but it still feels coherent. Yeah, so. it really does. Um, and it's yeah. so weird that, like rewatching it, I forgot that we only see him and his mother in this opening. Like, that's it. I thought there, in my brain, there was a lot of flashbacks of like them together. Um, but I, I don't know that we needed more, right? We kind of, it's like, you get it. That's his mother. She was a slayer. Even if you've never seen Fool for Love, you, you get that she was murdered by that vampire, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. So you don't you don't need more. I would have liked more, but, mm-hmm. and I thought they did like the the outfitting for the 70s looks. I do like that. And I always, I'm I'm a walking parody and Punk Spike always does it for me. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, he's, he's oh, incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> um, which I will say, I told James Marsters that, that like that was like a very big deal for young Ian, and he was like, "Well, you have good taste, so I feel like <laughs> <validated."> <laughs> I, and, and, and that's the thing. And once I realized what this show, what this episode was, once I realized what the show was, no, once I realized that's how much my memory has gone. I don't even remember Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, um, once I, once I realized what episode this was, I was I was so into it because all that my favorite thing is. The, the ver- is Spike changing from one version of himself into yeah. another. It's just one of the most powerful parts of the show that was not part of the original conception of the show and comes to fruition in this. It's incredible. And he yeah. is so good. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. He, he's one of like, I think he's, am I going to, yes, I think that I will say he, him and Anthony Stewart head as well, but he gets more depth to bring. Um, I think he's one of like the best male actors on the show. Like I cannot believe he also didn't go on to do a lot of other things. Um, and he has to do so many different things. Like in this episode, yes. especially the point when he's playing, it's so complicated when he plays the newly vamped spike mm-hmm. who still has feelings for his mother and is sort of in between <laughs> yeah (laughs) the the selves that he is it's it's really impressive and i've always loved this aspect of the show that the punk spike and you only figure this out later on is just an overcompensatory Mm -hmm. cross-class you know sexual form of (laughs) of of cosplay for spike that that's taken over his persona but is always an artificial reaction to being scorned it's just it, it makes the whole show's portrait of resentful male nerdishness and you could include Willow in this too yeah. feel like a thesis that runs through the show in a way that you would never think was true when you watch season one. But yes. that's one of the aspects of the show where it's like every Lego brick in that theme clicks together with Spike by the end. Yeah, that Emily, that's a very smart way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> yeah, and we're done. That's it. That, that's all I have to say. Well, I, I, I'm just I'm obsessed with this aspect of the show, particularly because I think it's one of the great television accomplishments of the show mm-hmm. is to take something that was yes, it was a theme in the sense that Xander is a character in the first season, right. yeah, but yeah. Um, but it was not something that was baked into the DNA of it, like baked into the DNA. You know what I mean? Like it (laughs) it wasn't, it wasn't a given that this would be what would happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
it it slowly moves through. And you know, I, I as many as, as well as many other people often favor the early seasons, but this is one of those things that actually really comes out in the late seasons because the triad in season six mm-hmm. and the development of Spike's character and all the changes with Willow also are what make this possible. And it, it's interesting because it ends up seeming as important a theme in the show as the central theme about Buffy reaching adolescence by dealing yeah. with all of the patriarchy as a series of demons. Like the two things run in tandem and the second, uh, the, the, the sort of angry nerd one ends up feeling as important as yeah. Buffy's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Emily, I feel like do a TED talk on Buffy, and I'll come I'm sorry. to that. <laughs> no, it's very, it's very nice. It's, it's nice to talk about because I, you know, I haven't been, ta- I've been, haven't been sitting around talking about Buffy, so yeah, it's fun. And, and, and I, you have, I think it has been since like the beginning of season six that you've been on our show, so it's probably like almost two years, maybe three. Yeah. And what a two years it has been. <laughs> what a, yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to hog all this space. So. Um, uh, so yeah, I. I was going to point out, I think you are right. The, the, they use that like very cute child just perfectly. Like oh. they don't, they don't make it too, they don't make the scene with him and his mom too precious, but it is still like well done and precious, but not like over. It's poignant. It's poignant. Yeah. Yes. Um, so then we cut to like the, you know, we get, like you said, the, him saying like, I'm waiting. It's like, eh, pff, all right. But I do, I'm a sucker for like, Ooh, that person's clutching their thing so hard they're bleeding. I always liked that, like in a movie or TV show, even though it's like there was a lot of blood coming out of there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody was like, Robin, did you say a yeah. doctor? <laughs> like, are you okay? Uh, <laughs> so, post credits, we get uh, Buffy and Robin in his office. Um, the previous episode was Storyteller. I guess we're, we're supposed to assume that Andrew's tears did help quell the hellmouthy activity but it's not quite completely close i don't I, like i wasn't quite sure this is where the storytelling gets a little clunky season wise because it's like well we're done the season in five episodes we know the hellmouth can't actually be shut um but i guess it's like you know in the previous episode students were exploding and now that's not happening um and i realize how stupid that sounds to say out loud andrew's <laughs> tears help quell the like <laughs> what the fuck? i love that scene <laughs> 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 they needed to they needed to just like remind us i guess that there's other bigger things going yeah. on and then like but that's kind of all on pause for all the jumping around in time we're about to do yeah yeah and so Giles hey, by the come- way it is so confusing in this scene if you don't remember very much about the first people right? talk yeah. about the first one and they're like well you know the first plan i was like wait what was the first <laughs> the first one the one? <laughs> it had a lot of people playing it it has a plan anyway the, 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 the episode doesn't do a great job of helping you understand what's going on in that one. i like so how we we kind of could be robin wood though looking in and being like okay yeah like we're just as confused as he is about not just what's going on for everything, but also like specifically the stuff with Spike and yes. they're going back and forth between like the his soul and the trigger and the chip. Yeah, you know? that was funny because they yeah. did one of those the vessel and the pestles, you know, like that was that kind of thing. <laughs> or the who's it was a who's on first scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I like so we had talked about this in the previous two episodes, how it was weird. Giles is absent, like he's living in that house, but he's absent from the last two episodes. They don't really ever say it, but then in this episode, she does say he was like, what, like the seers in the coven, and he went to go find a way to get rid of Spike's trigger. But more importantly, I do love the bit, and Buffy does this a lot, 
uh, the show, not the character. But she's like, maybe everything's going to be okay. And then Giles comes in the office and is like, everything is terrible. Like, I, I do <laughs> love when the show does that shit. And I do like when Giles is like in on the goofiness because it's like he's just being silly about. And this is every discussion he had with Jenny Callender in seasons one and two about mm-hmm. like, oh, not on computers. It's got to be books. And mm-hmm. so basically, Giles is very stuck on that. Uh, he mentions the Sears and the Coven. He's going to deactivate Spike's trigger. Buffy does the, like, I meant to look this up. Do any of you, who is Yul Brenner? Do we know who that is? Because I don't yeah. know who that is. You know, who oh, is Yul, Bren- Yul Brenner from The King and I. He's a, oh. you know, the bald, handsome, right. charismatic actor who well, plays. He's the, he's the king. He plays the, the king. king. He plays the right. king of Siam. I mean, that's the role he's most known for. He was also, okay. I can't remember what else he was in. He He was in a TV thing also, right? Okay, because she makes the joke, like an old stuffy British, old uh, old stuffy and British, like you, uh, Brenner. Like I was like, all right, I appreciate I appreciate the joke, even though I didn't know who the fuck that was. Um, and then we cut to the basement, and they like Giles has that weird thing that looks like a like magical slug that goes into Spike's eye. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was it. That was a that was a nice rip off of the of Star Trek too. Yes, like, yes, it really I was. was. Like, I was like, you got a worm; it's going into a head. You're going through the eye, not the ear. But we 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 see the homage. It's fine yeah. with me. They did a nice job. <laughs> Little glow worm. I like how we get a couple different jokes. Spike makes the joke about there not being room for his brain, and then right. somebody makes a joke about the size of Spike's brain. Ha ha ha! <laughs> I, I I will say the scene. I I did think they did a good job with it, but it was one of those classic like hanging a lamp on it things where they're like you know there's a lot of plots about spike being you know his his having these various different things like he's good he's bad he's he's controlled he's not controlled and so i i felt like making jokes about it was a way of expelling the problem of having this weird on and off plots that were confusing and slightly overlapping by showing a character being confused by them yeah and this season i will say the thing I do love this season does, they make that they make a lot of jokes about the plot. Like the, in the potential episode when they think Dawn is the next potential slayer, even though she's not, I, Anya and Willow have a back and forth where they're like, oh, I guess it makes sense. Remember that whole Slayer's blood thing with the key? And Anya's like, I never understood what that was. And like, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I, see, I am not a fan of this. I'm not oh, saying, really? yeah, I, I, by the way, I do, th- I, like I said, I do think that the scene where they're like the trigger of the soul and the chip, I think it works great. I think they mm-hmm. deliver it well and I think it's funny. But to me, it's what happened on Lost where they start adding <laughs> characters that kind of represent skeptical fans and then they work <laughs> to cathartically state and expel the doubt people have about the plot not making sense and i'm a very maybe i'm just like i'm like a humorless viewer and i'm like no <laughs> just make plots make sense you can't just make self-deprecating meta jokes about the plot not making sense um but is, if it if it fair. works i'll take it and in this case it works so okay so we get i i do this is some weird camera work that buffy didn't normally invest in but i liked the like we're turning to Spike and he's like, oh, it's not working. And we get the like J.J. Abrams looking lens flare and then poof, he's in his uh, mother's living room, which then, Kim, what happens? He's reciting poetry. I thought yes. before that you wanted me to, to talk about the poetry. I did. As the as the poet, as Slayer Vest 98's resident poet, uh, what do you think? I mean, you know, it was, it was some, some uh, dri- drivel. His mother was right in the end. But no, I I mean, I think that the scene in and of itself 
is necessary. And I like that we get, I mean, any, anytime you're going to put poetry on TV, even if it's not that great, like, yeah, do it. <laughs> so can I give a fun fact? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the woman who plays Spike's mother played Serena Vander Woodson's grandmother on Gossip Girl. Oh, that's huh. so great. Huh. <laughs> she is so good in this. Oh episode. My gosh, yes. yeah. This is the, the, I mean, without her doing this incredible performance, this episode wouldn't work because it's incredibly devastating and poignant because she plays you both. you com- you completely feel what Spike feels about her in yes. both in both of the versions of her. Um she's great. No, I didn't know that. That's so funny about Serena's grandmother. And it's a credit, right, Emily, to like she sells both versions of the mother, the like sick loving mother and then the like soulless demon like awful weird whatever's going on incestuous mother like she sells both and it's only like what three scenes the mom's in but she sells Mm -hmm. it all of it and it it helps i will say the writing is also great for those scenes yeah and it's also like the 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 earlier version is this sort of dickensian um almost parodically wonderful sweet slightly treacly mother but Mm -hmm. but 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 also feels very real, like like a real sick mother who he genuinely cares for. That makes you feel very heartbroken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You uh, can it's, always it's always consumption. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to be consumption. I feel like the setting and the costumes were really great too to add to all of that. Like the, there was like a certain warmth that you get from the room and from the way that they're both dressed at this point. Uh, and I think that that really helped like sell everything that didn't even need to be sold anymore, but it did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree with that. Um, I, 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 so I sometimes will get annoyed. People are a little precious about Spike. Um, and it, I love Spike as a character. I think I, of course, have issues with him. Um, the, the thing people get most annoyed with this podcast is they feel that like, I hate Spike. I don't, I just can point out his flaws. I, I felt myself becoming that, uh, that fan. That's like, tweeting at my podcast being like, you don't like, I found myself becoming that person watching him. He's just so like tender with his mother and precious. And I'm just like, Oh, this, and it's weird. Cause he's like childlike, but he's clearly an adult man, but it's like very childlike with his mom. Um, and I just found it very endearing. And I mean, you said before, Emily, like we, we know that the punk stuff is all a facade and he's just like puffing his chest, trying to be like, quote unquote, cool. When this is like really him. And I find this, the fact that we go from this to what we get in season seven, just, I don't know. I find it very endearing for Spike. Like I, I was watching this, the flashback scenes being like, oh, this poor guy. (laughs) I think season seven is the only season where we can see Spike have a sort of idea of healthy love. And the, like you can, we can argue it like at at the end of the season, whatever he has with Buffy, that's a different thing, but he loves his mother in a pure way that he doesn't, we've never seen before. We, we didn't see that with Drusilla because that was toxic and all of the things that, that were in there. And then with Buffy, it's, at least in season six, it's, it's sort of more of an obsession. Yeah. But we see the spike that can love Mm -hmm. here and he's, he's kind of like a sweetie. And right. it also it also raises this real question about what it means to become a vampire because there's this strange thing that runs through the show about you know some people seem to bring something of themselves into yeah. their vampire self and his his motives for his mother in turning her into a vampire are pure. 
Like yeah. he, he, he doesn't want her to die. He wants to be with her. I mean, I, I was really surprised by how moving I found this part of it, especially given how critical I am of other parts of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally, as we're talking, we're like, let's only talk about the scenes of Spike and his mother. <laughs> not that the other scenes had nothing that worked, but the, to me, this is one of those uh, strange episodes where the one quarter of this of it that's about that is so far and away better than the mm. rest of the episode yeah. <laughs> that especially because it is shocking but it's earned like yes. it has everything yes. in it feels that way whereas the other parts of the episode are more like it's a it's a show with a plot and there are twists and they're trying <laughs> to figure things out and but you know for instance like uh robin going after um spike it, it just doesn't have that effectiveness to me, we will we will get there because I have a lot of thoughts about that. Okay, um, but so we we get the mother, then she sings him this song, and we learn that that's we we kind of already knew because we had heard the song earlier in the season, but we didn't know what it was from. Right? We learn it's his mother sang it to him. He we flash back to present day. He's freaking out. He throws he throws Buffy. He throws a bed. It hits dawn. Um, and I this is a thing that the show does well too, where he's like, Oh, shouldn't you go check on Dawn? And she's like, She's tough. And then we cut to Dawn going, Ow, because she <laughs> has like a cut on her okay. head. So we cut to Dawn. We need to talk about Anya's outfit. Yes, like, yes. <laughs> the other great part of the show. The most important part of the show. <laughs> what, is what is it? The the hat, the hat with flowers on it, the polka dots. Like, I took notes on this. I was like, we need to talk about this outfit. I, I will, I've said this the entire season. After Selfless, they very much didn't know what to do with Anya, but Emma Caulfield is so good. She steals every scene where they're like this, where it's like, give her five lines and that's all she does this episode. She still fucking nails it, but like, ooh, that outfit is... This really, also, in this scene, it's the combination of the outfit and her saying that thing where she's like, even if he killed a thousand frat yeah. boys, oh, yeah. well, you know, <laughs> to forgive is human. Like, it was, I was like, what are you doing? You, you're, you're exactly right. Like she had 30 seconds, she nailed it, and then she sort of, you know, blew on her fingernails and walked off set and was like, I own this episode. It was so good. Um, but I love that outfit. Like if it was just the polka dot top, that would be like, okay, she's wearing bright colors. But what the hell? That hat was like, what was it? A 20s flapper hat? Why yeah. would anybody be wearing that in the house? It's like a swim cap. It's like a swim cap with flowers on it. Yeah. So weird. Uh, I, but I, I, I like, I forgive the silly hat because I just, I love that line when she's like, blah, 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 to for- forgive is human. Like, I just, it's so good. Right. Yeah. And that's like what we love about Anya is that she's very, she can be flippant about shit while still telling the truth because she is telling the truth when she says Spike has a get out of jail free card with Buffy because mm-hmm. he kind of does. <laughs> I um, know, but she's a weird person to say right. it as she, as she herself recognizes <laughs> as, a, as a vengeance demon. But um, yeah, no, I'm not even forgiving the hat. I'm like fully for it. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually also the only notable and good piece of clothing in this episode. <laughs> Ooh, Emily with the hot take. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that I didn't like Buffy's sort of white gossamer top in her scene with Robin, but it's just like very little stands out. Anya is like, I will be noticed. <laughs> <She's> just, <laughs> so. And we, we, we love that. We love that. Yeah. Um, so Andrew answers the phone. It's, it's funny to see the characters that they like clearly had to have here. Like Anya and Andrew, like clearly Andrew and Kennedy were like featured guest stars. So they had to be in it. And Anya's in the credits, but they all only get like, two parts and just Andrew's literal only scene is saying 
Willow, well, you have a phone call. Some effeminate guy named Fred, which is yeah. a joke that pays off if you've been watching Angel. Um, and Willow has to leave. We know that. Um, did did everyone, Kim? I know that I know how you watched Buffy and Angel, but Emily and Ellie, did you both watch like both at the same time? Yes, I, I knew it was a crossover situation. Okay. And I, I understand from reading online that this episode was delayed because of the Iraq War, is, is what yes. I was saying. <laughs> Which is a surprising footnote to a show that so seems to have weird. nothing to do with what's going on. But like, it was supposed to, I guess, come before the Angel episode and it came after, I guess. Oh. Huh. If I understood correctly. That's a. Uh... I feel like I I should remember that, but I don't remember that. But that makes sense. Um, yeah, I I remember being so excited that I mean Faith was on Angel and like that being and Emily. I feel like you'll remember this better as the TV the capital T TV critic. Uh, wasn't it like the deal WB and UPN made so that way they could have a crossover? Was like we can share Faith and Willow. One of the characters has to go to Angel. That way Angel can come. I believe what you say is true, but I don't remember the details, but yeah, that sounds right. (laughs) But yeah, I remember like reading about that and just being like so excited because after season five, when Buffy went to UPN, I kind of was kind of, you know, we get that scene in season six where like the, the like same angel episode, he's like, I have to go see Buffy. And she's like, I have to go see angel. And we just Mm -hmm. never address that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of thought that was going to be that forever. And I was very bummed that like, oh, it's a final season of Buffy, but we won't get a crossover. But then we did. Um, Then also we get Willow saying she has to leave. Buffy, this is, okay, this is where we're getting complicated, where I will have my hot takes. When Giles is like getting mad at her, Giles isn't quite wrong, right? I don't know what everyone else thinks. Wait, wait, when he's mad at her for, you mean in the cemetery when they're fighting or? Well, even before the cemetery, he says like, think about what you're doing. Like he doesn't even want her to unchain Spike. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's obviously right. Except that Giles is the worst watcher in the history of time and space. (laughs) So it's literally like Anya having correct things to say about Spike and then being like, you killed probably more people than Spike. (laughs) Um, So similarly, like, because I feel like, Ever since Buffy's mother died, especially, but it just in general, and even in rewatching the show, even though I like Giles, he's a terrible watcher who makes terrible decisions at all times, rarely protects her, often gives her terrible advice, and then abandoned her. So when he gets to this point and he's like, you need to make smart leadership decisions, which is this just beat they hit over and over again during the seasons, it's hard for me to listen to him because I'm like, shut up. (laughs) My hot take is that the only good thing he ever did was kill Ben Glory. Yes. Okay, wait. Now we're all going to fight because I think Giles is the best. He's such a good, supportive dad to her. He's a He's- terrible watcher. He gives. He, when you, I was literally rewatching with my children. We watched for the first two seasons or something. And mm-hmm. I was like, it is astonishing how much he he gaslights her nonstop. Like she's like, oh there's a monster standing right there. And he's like, Oh, Buffy, don't be foolish. It's time for us to practice. And she's like, it's a monster. And he's like, that's not a monster. The first issue I had with him was when she turned 18. Like ever since yeah, that episode yeah. where he tricked her and set her up because she had to pass all these things without using her powers. I was like, 
if you were really, I know it's a watcher thing, but this is cruel. Well, like, yeah, this- yeah, yeah, I'll, I will even be okay with that because he, that literally was what that episode was about, right? Like yeah. his betrayal of her, which was required by his job. Like I actually found that, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I understand what you're saying. But yeah. that is literally what it was about. I'm talking about throughout his time with her, he does essentially smaller versions of the same thing every 20 minutes. <laughs> I mean, yes. I just, uh, I, Kim, what do you think? I was going to say, I feel like now that they're like both adults, like when, when she was a, a younger, we could go back and we could argue about whether or not he's like, you know, replacement dad or absentee father. But I feel like now that they're both adults, they don't treat each other like two adults should treat each other. They're just not communicating effectively. And I think that's the problem with their relationship. Hmm. All right. I, I can ex- I'm sorry to have that. come down so strongly on this subject. <laughs> I had no idea I had these feelings until I said them. But isn't that isn't that the way that podcasts work? So. Right. Yeah. I, I just always go back to that season two episode, like when Angel has turned evil, you find out it's because they had sex and it's like her birthday. And he at the end, he's like, if it's guilt you want, I'm not your man. Like I'm I'm nothing but here to support you. And That's I like an- it's a beautiful moment, right. undeniably. It's what keeps her attached to him when he makes all these other mistakes. <laughs> but yeah, no, 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 that's a gorgeous episode. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then we we get another flashback and we get Drus- we meet Drusilov into this Yay. episode. So weird that she's, I, I, and again, in my memory of this episode, she was in like every flashback, but I, it's weird that they like had Juliet Lando on set for like five minutes. They were like, yeah, yeah just real quick. Uh, Kim, I know you love Drusilla. We interviewed Juliet Landau together last year, two years ago. God, when? What is time? Um, what did you think of this? I just loved like like Spike's like casual, like the three of us. And she's like, three? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. me and my mother. And like just like like her like sort of slow backing away hesitation. <laughs> okay. Wait, she says your mom. Like your mom. <laughs> <laughs> are you are you drunk a little bit yeah <laughs> um, no that's actually the mom in his conversation yeah, yeah. I think of it. but anyway um i just loved like like before like you know early juliet uh mm. so i'm sorry early drusilla isn't as fun as like brain adult drusilla for me but um i do i do still think that uh that she she just kills that little moment like that it's just so good I think yeah. she's so great in the scene, and she also has the best physical moment in the whole thing when she's rubbing her belly, which is so <laughs> weird. When when he, when he's approaching his mom, and she there's a whole thing about she's like I'm really his mother because I made yeah. him. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, they're just delving completely into this idea that sires are parents and that everything involves these parent child relationships. And she literally is, I don't know what she's doing. Like she's rubbing her belly as though she's a pregnant person or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's really creepy and classic Drusilla. <laughs> like when yeah. she does something, you're like, wow, you've just taken it one step too far. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, it's, it's funny to see her. We don't often get Drusilla in the like, she's almost like the straight player in the scene where she's like, what the fuck are you talking about your mom? Like, (laughs) and we don't get Drusilla on the side of like her looking at someone like that person's being crazy. Right. And I like to see that like the opposite of what we normally get with her. Um, But Spike is so earnest and like not, right? you know, so earnest. The contrast is, is, I mean, a little heartbreaking because, you know, she's clearly evil and he's like, mom, this isn't the way I was going to do it. Yeah. But, I can cure you. You won't be sick anymore. And we'll live forever. 
I mean, the whole thing is heartbreaking because he's also truly sexually, like, just heightened by Drusilla, and he's finally experiencing this kind of adult sexual relationship, and he's mm. so excited about it and kind of excited about them taking over the world <laughs> and equally psyched about bringing his mom along. Like, it just, that's actually kind of one of the best moments of his life. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That brief moment before he actually vampires his mom like he's like this is great i've got a girlfriend i'm bringing my mom along and now i have a sense of purpose i'm getting revenge on all these snobs that put down <laughs> my poetry like like if you map out spike's entire life that might have been the only 15 good seconds <laughs> god seriously and his earnestness i mean i i think of like sometimes when something is like too earnest i'm like put off but I don't know his earnest. His earnestness here is very. It endears me to him even more. And like, I'm like this sweet man child who just like you said, Emily. He's just like, I got a girlfriend. I got my mom. We're gonna take over the world. This is great. Like he's like very excited. And yeah, it's just like, well, we know everything's gonna go to shit after this. Great. Yeah, he seems confident in his skin. That that's yeah. the thing. Um, I actually went back and watched like the first scene where he was reading the poetry. Mm-hmm. And then this scene again, and even the way he carries himself, yeah. like it's not just that his costume is looser and he looks more comfortable. He does feel like he's, it looks like he's come into his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. almost unrecognizable in that first scene, that first glance. Like if you didn't know it was him. Yeah. 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 I would, I would agree with that. Um, so then we cut back to Summer's house. Robin and Giles have this discussion and I don't know. I, I know you said it doesn't, quite land for you, Emily, but the Robin stuff lands for me because I I feel like he has every reason to want to fucking kill Spike. Like, I just... And Giles is kind of right that Spike is a liability. Like, we we saw he... I mean, Buffy found the bodies he sired of the people he murdered under the first control. And while I understand her logic of he was not the one doing it, he was like a sleeper agent or whatever dumb bullshit excuse, but it could happen again. I don't know. Um... Ellie, what do you think of the the Giles Robin combo here? It's, I I mean I think just because I am sort of already biased in Spike's favor after having seen all of this backstory, mm. because when when this happens, we can already see like, oh, Spike murdered his mom. Right. Like there's there's something going on here that's that's deeper than all of this. Anytime I see Giles go behind Buffy's back, it makes my heart hurt. Yeah. Just the whole idea that he is so convinced all the time that his is the only right answer and he's the only one who can see things clearly. I don't know. It seems kind of manipulative to me, but it's, it's also interesting because his mother who we know from far behind the episode where Spike is fighting with Buffy and we see the first flashback, Mm. we know his mom was so disciplined that, you know, that was how Spike was able to beat her. And you can see that the watcher relationship that Robin's mother had with her watcher and that he had with her watcher was very, very different. Like he doesn't seem to comprehend the idea that Buffy and Giles's Slayer relationship is different. Yeah. So I, I mean, I did see this as a sort of betrayal. Okay. I mean, it was a betrayal, but like a deeper than that betrayal because Buffy is nobody she can lean on. And like, that's been yeah. made very clear. She's, she thought she could lean on Giles and then she can't. I mean, right, and then they kick her out of the house in, like, what, two episodes, three episodes from now? So, yeah. Uh, Kim, what did you think of this, them, like, plotting? I mean, I liked that Giles got out of Robin that, like, he's in it for revenge. I thought that was important that mm-hmm. we know, like, you know, he's not, he's, you know, for the greater good also, but also, like, you know, 
And I think that Giles really makes a decision there to to kind of allow this guy not just to be rid of Spike for the greater good, but also like is acknowledging that it that it's for revenge. And that that seems shady. Yeah. Emily. Uh, Look, my response (laughs) to this is not about whether people's decisions make sense. It's literally the fact that I feel like there's something null about this plot, even though it all makes sense in theory. That's the way that I felt about their conversation. I was a little bored by it, which is weird (laughs) because the stakes are actually very high and the actors are fine. It's really nothing, but I just feel like there's an artificiality to the whole thing. I will say that I also, it's absurd how much, Giles lies to Buffy (laughs) gratuitously and I don't know it's so strange I don't know why I can't like the way that I feel about Spike's thing with his mom is very strong to the point that it haunts me during the conversations we're having about other parts of it (laughs) and whenever we talk about the the stuff with Robin and we're going to get to to the scene where he fights him and stuff it all just feels like plot mechanism to me Um, Hmm. I, I, I guess I understand what you guys are saying about the ethical things and the slayer, um, the slayer watcher relationship, but I have trouble concentrating on it because I don't think it works. And that's just a gut reaction. All right. That's fair. Uh, so then that scene ends with like Giles kind of saying, what exactly do you propose? And then we cut to him and Buffy in the cemetery. Um, and he's kind of like, uh, he does have a very good line of like, Oh, like the chaos in your life, shows that I still need, you know, I still need to impart some wisdom on you. And Buffy's like, impart away. Um, I, season seven actually does this a few times. And I think it might even be because they had so many moving pieces in like every single episode leading up to the end. But they do a lot of like flashes to this, flashes to that, flashes to that. And it's like three different things all happening at once. Mm -hmm. I do, it works for me. Like I like... That as he's telling her, and she's joking about her own inspirational speeches, which that I will um, circle back to what you said earlier, Emily, about just make the plot good. I, I don't really love that her she's making jokes about her own speech. It almost feels a little too like caving in on itself. Yeah, I, you know, you know, part of the thing for me is actually that. This entire season, I remember the first time I watched it being agitated by the constant discussions of what it means to be a general and head of war. I I just never got excited about that as a character arc for Buffy. So I just sort of zoned out during stuff like this. But I understand what you mean about the scene is actually pretty funny. And, you know, look, I'm a sucker for all the scenes in which a random vampire banters with her while she's having a conversation. Like, it's just like, it's a Buffy classic that goes back Mm -hmm. to season one. And that guy who played the vampire is very good, actually. Richard or whatever. So so I I did, I dug it. The one thing about this scene for me that sort of, and and again, this goes back to what I said, um, sort of about watching Giles betray Buffy's little heartbreaking. The way I interpreted this scene was that, she, again, like, she has a peer. She has somebody she can kind of lean to and joke for. She's letting herself step back into that student role, I think because it's comforting to her. Yes, like, this is yes. what she's been doing ever, you know, for the past seven seasons. When she was in high school, she and Giles would go out and they would train. And I think she enjoys stepping back into that moment mm-hmm. for a little bit because things are so crazy in her life. And I think that makes the betrayal even worse. 
What's so funny about it to me is that the, the, the scene has occurred over and over again during Buffy where she is being um, stalled by somebody who's actually yeah. doing something to her in another place. Like it, like it happens in the, you know, it's like the climactic thing that happens in the first season all the time. And it, there is something darkly hilarious about the fact that it's Giles doing that to her because yeah. it's like, yeah, fall for it every time. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> like She's just always being isolated from the crowd stalled with a bullshit story about something that she's supposed to be doing <laughs> only to discover that they've kidnapped the people closest to her. And it's just yeah. happening again. So Emily, I hadn't even thought about it, but you're right. That leads to like the iconic moment in season two when she's slow-mo running with the blue jacket. Yes. Cause Angelus did the same thing. Yeah. Like Angelus did it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you fall for it. And, and the thing is when you watch the first two seasons, he's right. Like she does yeah. fall for it every time. And it's because of, and this is a consistent thing in the show that's done very well is that she is both isolated from people and she chooses to isolate herself yes. and she refuses to collaborate and she insists on being like the, the one, one person who can save the world yeah. at, the, at the same time as she bridles at the burden of that responsibility. Mm -hmm. But strategically it always screws her. And this is just another one of those cases. So, yeah, yeah, that's, it, you know, it's true. I, when we recorded uh, the episode on selfless, Buffy does have like a, and I, I've noticed like even the Buffy fans fall differently on that conversation she has with Xander and Willow, where she's like, I'm the law, I make the decisions. And they're kind of like, but you're, di when it's Spike, it's different. When it's Angel, it's different. But now that it's Anya, you're just going to kill her. Um, and her like very much like, I cannot ask for help. I am a loner bullshit. When actually the reason she's a successful slayer is because she's not alone. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you're right. It is a consistent theme and they do a good job of keeping it there. Like it's never pretended to not be there. Um, she has a really funny line too. When she's like, you see the way I treat my friends, my family and Andrew. <laughs> and Andrew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I love how like Buffy of all of them is the one that like truly cannot stand Andrew. <laughs> Poor Andrew. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, the vampire hand raises from the grave. We cut to Robin and Spike because as Giles had mentioned, they were leaving him with Robin and that people in the house were relieved. Um, mm -hmm. And he's, he says to Spike, it's like, oh, you live in a garage? And he's like, no, this is my sanctuary. You go in, you turn on the lights, and there's crosses everywhere. I love that line. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Emily, did you have a rebuttal? Yeah, no, no, no. It's not a rebuttal. I just thought it was a bizarrely over-the-top situation. Because <laughs> it's like, hmm, is there anything suspicious about the fact that this space is filled with crucifixes? And I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I do... I. See, now this all works for me. Like, I kind of like... D.B. Woodside's acting is very good because he's just very, you killed my mother. Like, and Spike's like, I killed a lot of people's mothers. Um, mm -hmm. And the like, his delivery is very good. I like that he is very calm for this. But then we build up to like, you know, when he's like punching Spike and he's like, is this how it felt when you snapped my mother's neck? And he's like screaming at him. And then, you know, at the end, he's crying. Like, I, I feel like he does a very good job with all of yeah. this of like, Principal Wood is normally a very calm man, but like, understandably, when confronted with the vampire who murdered his mother, he is not so calm. I liked the old iTunes. Like, I hadn't seen that iTunes. Yes! yes! That was so nostalgic. To, he's like, hold on, let me pull up your little song. And it would have been better if it was on a, it was on, what are they, what were like they Napster. called? Napster. 
No, I was thinking if it was oh, a, the, the, the apple, the, apple, the, the thing yeah. that you used to carry around that had a spinning wheel. Oh, an iPod. An iPod. iPod. I think yeah. it would be great if he picked up an iPod and been like, hold on. He was like spinning and spinning and spinning, <laughs> trying to find yeah, it. Yeah. I love you can see the AIM icon at the bottom of the page. Yes. When he oh, really? iTunes, it's like, oh, this is so nostalgic. <laughs> oh, God. I use so many Buffy quotes in my aim away message. <laughs> 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 By the way, it is so funny to me that but I, I did think that D.B. Woodside was very good in the scene. Um, the, the, it was so funny to me that he's like, and I have set this whole thing up. I will bring him back there. I'm going to have this song all set up on cue because I don't want to kill him as a person. I want to kill him as a vampire. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's a very, you could just sit, see him sitting around seething and being like, this this needs to be exactly right. <laughs> like, I have get to, the playlist out. Like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then we then we start the like, cut we get like spike has bitten his mother in the last scene and we cut to a flashback of his mother entering the room looking healthier and i just i feel so bad for him because he is Ugh. and it's like he's no. he's he's a vampire in the scene he should be soulless but he's so happy that his mother is like healthy and like vibrant and uh, she even calls him tender but we can tell it's a sinister right like she pauses before she says tender and uh the mean shit she says to him like breaks my heart. Oh, it's, it's drag like, it out. Yeah, it's actually one of the most upsetting scenes in the entire series. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, that's a pretty big thing to say, but it's actually true. Like, I, I'd have to reach to find five scenes where people say something more <laughs> heartbreaking yeah. and devastating than this. It's demented. I, yeah, it's, I like. It's worse than like murder if that makes sense <laughs> just at least the way not I mean not obviously but like the way the show depicts right yeah design, this is so deeply personal yes and sexual and weird yeah it's also, it's very- also great because it's very extreme but it's also it's a very realistic problem which is that the idea that someone being very kind who is your parent could be concealing from you that like it, it hovers in this yeah. weird way between the truth and something that is a thing a demon could say. And it's so well done that when he comes to the conclusion, this was just what the demon said, you really are left as a viewer in a very ambiguous state. Like you can believe that he's delusional about that. I I had this moment when I was like, maybe his mother is just saying this because she wants him to kill her. Um, And so this is the best way, but that was like, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) You know, actually I was going to ask what you all thought because I wrote down some of her quotes. Like she says, like you slithered from me like a parasite, which is just like horrendous. And she's like, who could compare to your doddering housebound mom? Like she just says all of this awful shit. And I was wondering, Kim, what do you think? Do you think it was, that's her just becoming a demon or that's like shit she was hiding from him as a human? I'm going to cop out and say both, but I think that, the, I think her sexualizing his feelings towards her, that's mm. very demon to me. Because yeah. I don't, I mean, he, his acting, like, like James is acting there, like that's not what Spike's doing. You know, yeah. like he just yeah. loves his mom. So yeah. I think that maybe some of the other stuff like is, a, you know, you have the nice versions and the mean versions of the same thing sometimes where you're just yeah. like, you know, both of these things can be true at the same time. Like he can be, I wrote down a quote, a limp sentimental fool, or he could be a, a hopeless romantic, you know, like, and maybe at, as his mother, like she's worried that he's a limp sentimental fool, but like at the same time, like, oh, that's just my son. He's a hopeless romantic. But as yeah. soon as she starts sexualizing things, I think that that's like, that's definitely a demon, a demon. which it gets all like Oedipal. 
Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not a mother. And that, that was sort of something that was continually on my mind, like the dichotomy between, I mean, yes, she's a demon, but also who you are as a mother separate from who you are as an individual. Yeah. Um, and like, like you said, Ian, sort of how much was her and how much was the demon mm-hmm. that particular thing is, is, is why, why I feel the, the same way, because did she probably always have some of these feelings? Well, you know, you don't just become, you don't, your whole personality in life, you're still yourself when you have kids. I think Emily, uh, you referenced watching this with your children. So you have yes. far more, you can speak to this far better than I can. <laughs> I mean, I have two teenagers. Um, yeah. I became a vampire after I had children. So. <laughs> okay. Good to know. <laughs> I mean, so if that, in that sense, if you change into a different person, no, um, no, I know. I, I, I mean, that I agree with you. First of all, I think that was very insightful about what, um, what was being talked about before about uh, the way it hovers between you can interpret in different ways, but that the Mm -hmm. sexual part of it seems unconnected to his actual feelings. And it's such a cruel interpretation, but the general thing that was just being said about the idea that your, your parent is both your parent and that they have a separate self Mm -hmm. that is not only doing things for you and that that's painful and confusing is what I thought was the really original theme of this episode. So anyway, yeah. go, go on with what you were saying though, about the, the slithering and the horrible things that she <laughs> says. What a mess. Yeah. I, I do like the inner cuts of like his mom says something terrible. And then we cut to Robin, like punching him because it's mm-hmm. yes, yes, we all get it. But like, I, I, I do like that. I, I just like that. It's like, he's being like, he's getting gut punches from his mom and words. And Robin is literally pounding his face in like, who does he say sorry to? Is he saying sorry to his mother for turning his her mom. into a vampire? Mm, yeah. 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 I don't think he's he's apologizing for turning her into a vampire. I think he apologizes like right before he, uh, in defense of himself, kills her. Yeah. Well, I think it's more like a I think general. Both. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, but so Robin gets a scene of, scream, of him screaming, and then we cut back to Buffy and Giles. Um, I don't know if you all know this, but apparently they cut for time, which is so annoying Giles reveals in this scene in the original script, Giles reveals to Buffy that he killed Ben. Yeah, I and, had read that that it was a yeah. cut. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. There was a cut uh, it was a cut inter- interaction between them that led to her suddenly running away. Like they yeah. they cut oh, Yeah. It been so good. <laughs> right? I Emily, don't you think that should have been left in? Yes, but you know, I'm sure they're editing it and they had to cut somebody and it just ends up being very... I could make a few other suggestions if they want to go back in time and cut some (laughs) stuff from this episode. But but yeah, yeah, that's that's a shame because they otherwise do a pretty good job in this episode of stacking parallels onto one another. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, the parallels between different people's perspectives of their parents and parallels between, as you said, the fight and the hurtful things and all this stuff. And so the choices that a leader makes that are difficult choices that only they can make the sacrifice and that they're willing to do, even if they do an awful thing, that's mm. what Giles did. So it was like, why right. isn't that in the episode? That right. Yeah. Surely relate. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That, that always makes me nuts. Cause I remember reading that like after the episode aired, that was like a, a trivia that went out and I was like, what, why was that cut? Um, it's possible they cut it just because there's so many confusing plot elements in this because, you know, that goes True. back to the last season. Yeah, I could see that. But who knows? Yeah. So, yeah, we get the like, you know, Giles, I forget what he says that kind of makes her realize that it's like 
I'm, I'm sorry. I just started laughing because I was imagining him saying just what Angel said and just going, you fall for it every time. Like suddenly- <laughs> <laughs> She's like, crap, I do. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, and the, the like, so the final thing his mother says before she states him is like, all you ever wanted to be was back inside, which is like, ugh. and I, I literally, my notes say, oh, poor Spike. I feel so bad. And like, that's when we get like, he does say sorry. And we see him state his mom. And I, they filmed that like dusting just slightly different than the normal ones where like, I feel like we stay on her eyes longer than normal. Right. And and that was the one part where I did have a moment when I thought, is she trying to get him to stake her? Because yeah. she didn't look completely upset. Ferocious. She looked tender. Yeah. It's a weird moment. Like it was enough yeah. for, for to create a, a strange ambiguity. It's also kind of interesting because it's a parallel to the big scene in the show where Buffy stabs Angel. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, I, yeah, he just, James Marsters is very good. And like his poor sad face when he like stakes her. Ugh, yeah. Um, I love that. I don't know if we all know this or remember. Spike makes a joke about this scene in the final season of Angel when Wesley has to kill his like an evil robot of his ver- uh, evil robot version of his dad. Again, I love when I explain things and it's like, God, that sounds ridiculous out of context. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like Spike's like, at least your mom didn't come on to you while you tried to kill her. Like he like makes a joke about it. Um, Funny. So I said, that's growth. <laughs> yeah. So I stay feeling terrible for Spike until this pivot. I got to say, I, He's so cruel to Robin once he like picks it up. I I don't know. I, I I feel terrible for Spike. And then when he's like, I don't give a piss about your mom. She was a slayer. I was a vampire. And it's like, okay, well, like, relax on that. Like, I, I don't know. I, I I I was sympathetic with Spike in that scene. I yeah. same. I, I have to say straight out, I was like, I respect that because he's basically saying, we were on opposite sides of a war. I didn't yeah. kill your mother because you know, I like to kill people's mothers. First of all, I was a, I was a vampire. I now have right. a soul. And he was like, he, he basically was like, it's a professional act. And she chose to be a slayer because that's her fate. And because that was her job. I killed her in a professional capacity. And he could have obviously been more gentle with Robin and say, I understand that you experience pain about this, but he was basically like, I'm not going to take responsibility for it the way that you want to. And it ended up being the theme of the show, which is basically like, parents are people, people with children, except with vampires and slayers. But I mean, I think it was hurtful to Robin, but I actually oddly thought it was a pretty rational (laughs) and and, and justifiable point he was making. Uh, The way I saw it was like, like, you can sort of see the catharsis here and- in, in my opinion, like that was solidified when he opens the door and you see that he's still alive. He's sort of like, oh, I have now come to terms with the fact that I have killed my mother. I can see things clearly, like you were saying, Emily, like I can see things now in this context hmm. where I feel that like I can move forward and I'm not going to kill you because I understand how much it sucks to have moms die. But at the same time, like my mom died in a much worse way and I can, you know, I've come to terms with that. It is fascinating though, because Spike is able to use this as a therapy session only in the context that he decides to interpret what his mother said as a purely demonic act and something that should no longer haunt him. And we can all sort of agree that that kind of rings true because the sexual stuff really did seem demonic, but it's probably also not true. And it's just a decision that he's made to be a more 
coherent adult. And it, I, I mean, that is the part of this episode that I think is so sophisticated <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that Spike would be able to mature and move on by make, by basically convincing himself of something that's a lie, but a useful one, because it's no good to sit around brooding about those hideous things. His mother said, Emily, <laughs> This is why you have a goddamn Pulitzer. That was going to be my fucking next question. If I'm we so all sorry. Felt- I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. No. no, I love that because I I was thinking Spike's definitely like just like closing the door on this and a little bit lying to himself, right? And I was wondering what everyone else thought because I 100% like, like, like I'm on your side with that because I don't think you can't just say none of that was true. Mom, I had a mom who loved me. No, like you, sucker. Like it just feels like, well, mm-hmm. um, but- I- He's making a choice to not be reactive. That yeah. was how I saw this, which is really interesting because I think he even says it when we first see him in like season season one or, or around season two, one of his first appearances, it's very clear that like he's a creature of id. Mm-hmm. Like he has an impulse and he goes for it. He doesn't think about his actions. He and Drusilla don't think about their actions. And with this, he, I mean, it is sort of like a therapy session. Yeah. Yeah. He is making a choice to do the rational thing, even if it's not entirely true, because he knows that like, if he's still focused on his mother and on this, and he doesn't get over this, his life is stagnant and this war is stagnant. So it's like he gets out of therapy. Yeah. Uh, Kim, what'd you think? I think that can all be true. And I think he can still be unnecessarily cruel to Robin. (laughs) <laughs> and I mean, I know we talked earlier about how <clears throat> the life of a slayer is lonely and they do do this thing where they're like, I don't need your help. I am an independent mm-hmm. person. Um, and then part of what makes Buffy's team so good is that she accepts that help even though, yeah. So all that stuff we were saying earlier. But Spike like really throws that in Robin's face about how like she cared more about the mission, yeah. you know, <clears throat> than, than him, than like her, her own son. And I don't think that that was necessary for him to like process all the stuff that he had to process in order to, you know, be able to listen to the song and cure himself of the, the trigger. Yeah. It's, it's the bit where he's like, unlike you, I had a mother who loved me and I'm yeah, like, that's, excuse me. That, like, that's too far. No, yeah. that, no, I, no, I agree. I, I actually, you know, he he was being cruel with that. It's also not true on several different levels. Right. Yes. <laughs> that that part's not fair. The part that did seem fair to me is like you've got to understand we were fighting on opposite sides of a yeah. war. Like yeah. she kills vampires. I have a special enjoyment of killing slayers because I'm a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> and now I am filled with 30,000 chips and worms and souls. So don't blame me. I did like that um, when they were fighting kind of during the, when Spike gets the upper hand here, how he like grabs a light fixture and kicks him. And it was reminiscent from like one of those train scenes from the seventies. I thought that was great. Mm, yeah. 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 Um, so uh, also I forgot to mention the thing I do like about before Buffy finds out his distraction, when she says to Giles, I'm in the fight of my life here. And the vampire's like, really? And she's like, not you, Richard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Poor Richard. Those guys, they're, they're like the guys that die at the beginning of, uh, you know, like the little conversations they have at the beginning of Law and Order, where they're just like, <laughs> yeah. it's just like a, like a little thing where it's like these odd chit chats she has with rando vampires. <laughs> <laughs> they play no further role in the plot. Um, <laughs> Uh, I did look up like what Giles said to like make her realize and it's not anything that I think is like noteworthy 
Oh, really? They're kind of going back and forth. You want Spike here even after what he's done to you in the past. It's different now. He has a soul. And then Giles says, and the first is exploiting that to his advantage. And then Buffy's like, oh my God, you're keeping me away. You're stalling me. Mm, And I'm like, "Mm, I don't really know how she figured it out in that moment, but she did. That's all that matters. Yeah. So Buffy runs to Robin's place. She finds Spike coming out and he does... I mean, we talked about it, but he does say, I gave him a pass. Let him live on account that I killed his mother, which I, it's such a weird line, but I, I, James Marsder's delivery is really good. And I like this spike that's coming out more confident and didn't do the thing. Um, but again, I still feel bad for Robin. He's like sitting there bloody and bruised and crying. And I, Sarah Michelle Geller, I mean, we, I know we all feel this way, but she's so good. And I like how tender she speaks to him at first when she's mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, my mom died. I found her dead on the couch. And he's just like there, like bloody and crying, like, I'm sorry. And she's like, I understand what you tried to do, but she's dead. And like, I like that she goes in there being like tender Buffy, but then is like, Spike is the strongest warrior we have, which like, I'm like, come on, Buffy, you're the strongest one. Um, but she says like, try anything again and he'll kill you. More importantly, I'll let him. Which, like, oof. Um, what did we all think such of? A blow. That was such a blow. <laughs> right? <laughs> I just, it, that feels like also like she's like digging it in there for Robin. It's like, oh, you lost that fight. You didn't get the revenge. And if you do it again, I'll let him kill you. <laughs> I mean, she's playing general, you know, like yeah. she's got to keep her troops in line. Which is funny because that's that's what the last thing Giles yells to her when she's running away is yes. that like, you're a general. This is how wars are won. Yeah. Then yeah. she shows up and actually does the thing, but not in the way Giles is anticipating that she'll do the thing. It's interesting. I think this is part of why I zoned out on this whole theme in season where everybody <laughs> kept going, you're a general. I'm not, I don't, I, I'm both not knowledgeable about, and I'm not that interested in the psychology of what it takes to be the leader in a war, which is weird yeah. because obviously it's an element in the show, but up until the late seasons, it doesn't really appear like she's a general in charge of a war in the world. It more yeah. seems like she's a superhero who's been chosen to kill individual vampires who have various schemes. It's only in the final season that there's this really big ongoing thing about being the head of an army. Um, but yeah, I mean, th- this whole episode is just about people all insisting that Buffy is the head of an army, but having different strategies for what she should do and who she should kill in her army. Yeah. yeah. Wait, I'm, cur- I'm curious about your, your take on this and I watched everybody's take on this. Do you feel that you kind of checked out of the general narrative because you were so sick of the initiative soldier narrative? No, actually, interestingly, I didn't have a problem with the fourth season initiative thing. I think there there were flaws in the plot that had to do with the conception of, uh, I can't remember his name, the villain. Um, the, Adam. The, the, Abbott, Adam. And obviously they lost, what's her name, um, partway through the season. So yeah. I think there are flaws mm-hmm. in it. But I actually wasn't one of those people who didn't like the initiative. I actually was into it. I was kind of like, oh, the contrast between the supernatural and scientific and the government and these outsiders. I actually didn't have a problem with that. It's more about well, part of it is that I actually found Buffy's psychology as a, I, you know, when she makes fun of the speeches, I found those speeches a little irritating this season. <laughs> like, like I remember watching at the time, like all those people gathered in her living room and she'd be like, I have a single minded cold. Like, I know that's what the show's <laughs> about, but I was just like, I don't know. I'm in it for a lot of the emotional aspects and the, the, the icier and less emotional that she became and the more it became literally like reading a book about 
any, you know, World War II or something where it's about the art, the, you know, the generals arguing over what strategies to use, the more I zoned out. So I don't think it was for me, at least about the other stuff from before. Hmm. I'm a, like a defender of season four. <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I did think I'm I knew also that a person who likes Riley, so don't even get me started. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, if we get started on that, we're going to be here for a few hours. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> are, are you guys more into the because um, I realize this is very central to season seven um, is is generalissimo. Buffy. You know, I as I've been going through season seven, um, I, I mean, the general consensus is that season seven is not as loved as the others beloved as the other seasons I do find it to be one of the seasons that I don't remember the episodes as well whereas like seasons like two through five I know every episode name I know exactly what happens like I could name the outfits they wear um but I go back and forth I I I was telling someone this recently that uh, so everyone who's ever dated me has had to go through Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So every ex-boyfriend probably is like, yeah, now we host a podcast about Buffy and he made everyone watch it. <laughs> um, and I do feel like every time I would rewatch season seven, I felt differently. Um, sometimes I felt like Buffy's being kind of an asshole. Other times I felt like I Buffy's stressed. Of course, she's being a little like, like controlling and like everyone else is kicking her out of the house. Like I, no matter where we land, I am always annoyed at them kicking her out of the house. But I go back and forth with the general narrative as to whether it works or it doesn't and whether Buffy's being too lone in her loner bullshit or whether it's like, but she is the strongest one there. So they kind of do need to listen. Like I, it, it's been different every time. Um, I will say when we did um, get it done, which is a, a season seven episode, I do really enjoy where she goes through the portal and the, the potential uh, dies by suicide she gives the speech that I could see both sides, right? She she does the thing where she's like, I buried her. Does anyone want to say anything nice about her? And no one has anything to say. And she's like, Chloe was an idiot. And everyone's like, whoa, relax. Hmm. And she, it's like, I get Buffy's annoyance that like these teen girls just like cannot pick it up. But also it's like, but be a little kind. One of their friends just died. They're looking their mortality like in the eyes. Like, so I, I, I go back and forth with whether I think it, achieves the thing it's trying to do with the general narrative or not. That was a really long-winded speech to just say that. Uh, Kim, what do you think about it? I think I was the one that mentioned that's what she was doing. I don't think it – I don't – I'm like you, uh, maybe worse though, where I don't necessarily remember a lot of the big arcs on this season. Mm-hmm. There's like certain parts of it that I do remember. Um, so it doesn't bother me because it wasn't like memorably something that bothered me. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny that that is the problem with this season is that it's just a straightforward thing. A lot of people don't remember stuff from it. Mm-hmm. The fact, that, it the fact yeah. that it's not memorable is its own problem. And yeah. that's yes. true whether stuff abstractly works, which some of it does or not. Like yeah. the show should be more memorable. And I agree with you all the other seasons, including for me, season six, actually, which was a whole divisive season, but I found a lot of it very memorable. Um, yeah. And I yeah. think it's very powerful and it kind of, does its own thing. Season seven yeah. doesn't work like that. It's odd. Yeah. I remember yeah. all the spike stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 That's fair. And Andrew. Um, so then, <laughs> yeah. So, the thing with, with me that, and this is sort of my hot takes and I'm glad that we just mentioned season six. My, the way I, I and season six is probably my favorite season, which I realize is a controversial <laughs> thing to say, but I, it, it, it really struck home emotionally for me. I told, I, I just want to, I, I literally am just chiming in to say, I back you up on this. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I wouldn't choose it as my favorite season, but I think it's wonderful that you feel that yeah. way. Yeah. So, 
season in season six, most of but for most of the time, Buffy is trying to be her old self mm-hmm. and try to convince them that, you know, oh, it's fine. She was in heaven. She, you know, hadn't been tortured. I don't when I first watched season seven, I didn't really it. Buffy's personality change didn't make much sense to me. It seemed like she was colder. It seemed that she had to turn off sort of the part of herself that kind of made her a good leader to be the idea of this general. But when I watch it this time, I sort of it made me think, is this the real Buffy that came out of that came out of uh, being in hell? Like, is this who mm. she is having been changed by that? She didn't let herself sort of be changed by it or l- display that she had been changed by it in season six because she didn't want her friends to be worried about her or feel guilty. So what, what do y'all think about that? Because did anybody else think her personality shift was noticeable or weird? I, I did find her personality shift noticeable and weird. I think there's, I think that's a very good argument for why it makes sense. And there is a level at which psychologically it makes sense because the whole show is about the fact that slayers are supposed to die young and for somebody to yeah. survive that she has means that she has so many layers of trauma including having died and come back, which is not supposed to happen. Um, But then on top of it, just the many losses that she's had, she's tried to be a slayer who's had relationships and that's obviously just been endless tragedy and loss. And so there's an argument that you can make that it's like, yeah, this is who she would be at the end of the show, but that's hard to deal with as, as, as a viewer of it, especially because where does that leave us in our sense of the character? It just, yeah. it, it, it feels, it feels deeply alienating in a way that's never really resolved for me. I, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to agree with you, Emily. I, it doesn't, like I said, every time I rewatch season seven, I feel differently about her and it's always Buffy that I feel differently about whether I think she's being too much, whether I think it's necessary for her to be too much, whether I'm somewhere in the middle, which seems to be kind of how I'm feeling this watch for the podcast. Um, so I don't know. I because also we gotta like like you said, Emily. Like slayers are supposed to die early. So like now, granted, in reality, she's not, she's only like the character of Buffy is like twenty two at this point. So it's not like she's like thirty, but she feels more way more adult than mm-hmm. a twenty two year old would feel. Um, and also like Buffy's seen some shit, right? So like that's not crazy that she would be more adult at twenty two than most twenty two year olds. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I guess I guess I don't know is my answer. <laughs> well, you, you know, the other thing about it is that I've always thought of the end of season five as Buffy committing suicide, which is really yes, complicated because yeah. because it, it's both like a lot of the best things on the show. And I mean, a lot of the best things in art probably are things where neither explanation suffices right. like there. It's just mm-hmm. a mirror like she makes a choice to save the world. Mm-hmm. But when you are a person like her who is barely a person at all at that point, right. you just want to opt out because you understand that you should have actually died. Um, and so it's this really sacrificial thing and it's this Christ-like thing and it's actually an act of depression. And so it's it's just, it is a little heartbreaking to deal with her character this season and feel how alien she is. Oh, I was going to say a really weird thing that I'll just throw in there and I don't know whether this makes any sense, but I've been thinking about, I'm, I don't really watch a lot of, DC or Marvel things, but we, mm. I watched one of the movies the other night and I was talking with my husband and he was saying that somebody had talked about DC being uh, Marvel being what if human beings had superpowers and DC being what if gods walk the earth? And that makes sense as the, yeah. the yeah. contrast between the two characters. When Buffy starts, it's a Marvel show. It's about what if a human being, a teenage mm. girl, a 
tender, sensitive, slightly ditzy uh, cheerleader who has uh, abandonment issues from her parents' divorce has superpowers. But in the seventh season, it feels like it's a DC show because Hmm. she's not really a human type of person. She's more like a godlike being who has an alien view of how things work and doesn't seem to have the same kinds of relationships. I mean, that's not probably a sufficient analysis, but it, it, I think it's part of the reason that her character feels different. Yeah. I, and I, I still sort of think that, you know, maybe that this is going back to season, a little bit of season six too. Like th- this, this is who she is now that yeah. she was trying to find and reestablish, even if though she was only play acting, like right. these human connections in six in episode, I mean, in season six. And, and now she's sort of like, Hey, do I need these? Like, is this connection that served me so well, these relationships, can they be sustained in this end of the world environment that actually does seem to be the end of the world? Or do I need to close myself off emotionally? Because that's sort of how she seems in season seven to me. Yeah. yeah. And she's much more like the character in the wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just with better fashion, right? Like, <laughs> but so we end on a beat that I don't love where Giles apologizes and then Buffy tells him Spike's alive and she kind of shuts the door on him. The episode has a lot of emotions for me. I don't know. I don't love bringing in a conflict. TV shows do this a lot. I remember being mad when The Office did like, will Jim and Pam split up? Then they didn't. Um, I don't like a very ending conflict, but I know a lot of shows do it. Uh, Emily, I'm curious as our resident TV critic. No, I assumed you were asking me as the only defender of the Jim and Pam plot from the the end of the (laughs) Yes, I have a whole thing about this. This It's a crazy opinion, I realize, but it actually is very justifiable. And if I explained it to you, you'd all agree. But um, yeah, but I I do understand what you mean about like final conflict things. I mean, look, I've said it a million times during this podcast, but I don't have an analytical reaction to this. I just have a gut reaction. I wasn't that interested in this part. I didn't remember it very well. So whether or not it's justifiable or, 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 you know, whether it's thrown in as a, like, we want to create a conflict. I mean, I'm sympathetic with Buffy being mad at Giles, but it's, it's just one of those things where I couldn't even remember or get invested in, wait, is it important to keep Spike alive? (laughs) Is, is he your best soldier? As you say, like, you know, is this because you had a kinky relationship with him in season six? What does it mean for him to have a chip assault? Like it's confusing. So yeah, yeah, that's my, my gut response is that it wasn't something that I cared deeply about. Fair, fair. Uh, Ellie, how do you feel about it? So, I, I didn't, you know, it, it, only through us having talked about this episode have I sort of realized how I come down on this question. Um, it makes me sad because it's the continuing isolation of Buffy yeah. that we see that, that I would say is arguably one of the themes overall of season seven. Just oh, yeah. The, and it it's sort of, there's a tension when you watch it because so much of Buffy up until now, like the whole show is about found families mm-hmm. and working together to, you know, that you need the people who are normal in order to defeat the supernatural. And Buffy is just separating herself from everyone. She has to keep herself above the potentials because she is the slayer and they look to her for advice and guidance. So does Dawn, Um, you know, and even Xander and Anya and obviously, um, you know, even Robin to a certain extent, everyone's looking at her, Mm. but she can't depend on anybody. Yeah. And the shutting of the door on Giles sort of, to me, symbolizes like, okay, this is one more metaphorical door 
to support and understanding and having a peer, having an equal that I have just, I've just closed. Like we could have been, we could have respected each other as equals, but by trying to kill Spike, Giles has shown he still sees her as someone who can't be an adult and make her own decisions as a slayer, that she still needs him mm-hmm. when she doesn't. That's I, that's a fair reading of that. Kim, what do you think? Yeah, I think that those are all great points. I would say in terms of just the episode alone, firstly, I hated it because I, you know, so many bad things happen at the end. Yeah. That, like to have this be the way the episode ends just feels like bad. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, come on. Like I just needed something more positive than everything that just happened. Um, in terms of the conflict overall between them, like, I don't know. I feel like we talked about this before. Giles kind of deserves it. Yeah. I yeah. don't know about, <laughs> and I feel like, you know, you got to rewrite a bunch of stuff in this episode if you're going to change, if you're going to change that. We are pretty close to the end, but I'm glad it's here and not like two more episodes down that we get this. Yeah. And, you know, we do get the bit in the finale where like, we're just assuming like they're over it. It's the end of the world when he's like, if you want my advice. And she's like, I really do. Like, and that's it. And I am glad that it's not like this plot line of like them going back and forth and like whatever and blah, blah, blah. I'm glad that that's like kind of it. Yeah. And now with a fashion roundup for Lies My Parents Told Me, the season seven costume designer, Matt Van Dyne. Hello, Matt. Hey, hey, hey. Good to talk to you again. Love hearing your voice. Good to talk to you too. Uh, so what do you have for us for Lies My Parents Told Me? I'm sure there are a lot of uh, costume changes or wigs well, there at least. Was, well, there were. Um, you know, when reviewing these episodes, I, I go through and I, I recalled this episode, but I hadn't watched it in many years. Mm-hmm. And when it opened, uh, I remember, you know, I remember the night we shot that scene, the opening scene, which is supposed to be Central Park, New York. Mm. And I remember, uh, I can remember where it was shot. It was at the old zoo in Griffith Park here in Los Angeles, not yeah. that far from my home, which is probably, I'd say, about five miles from here, something like that, but very far from our sound stages in Santa Monica. And I recall that evening vividly driving. I remember what route I took to go to that shoot that evening because I thought, well, traffic's going to be heavy. So I took surface streets and I took Mulholland Drive. And I remember how beautiful it was that evening. You know, of course, here in LA in the wintertime, it's dark early. And I remember, you know, how dark it was and in the night sky, how beautiful it was. And I remember arriving at the scene and I remember <laughs> that they were already in process by the time I got there. My crew was there. Oh, and of course, the rain, you know, was the rain was being manufactured and all of that. What I I was really thrilled watching when I watched that scene, which I do think the the lady who plays Nikki was so good in that scene. Yeah. I I thought, you know, how tender she was with the little boy who uh, plays the young Robin Wood. But what I loved, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure who directed this episode. Did Drew direct this episode? I'm not sure. Drew, Drew Goddard wrote it, but it was directed by Michael Gershman. Okay, well, the direction and the writing, the writing was so wonderful too. But then the direction, what I loved in that scene, and I remember those little rain boots that I bought for that little boy. <laughs> and they show those, like they show up so well against the night. Those Mm. bright yellow rain boots. And actually, that was something I kind of stole from what another show I had done (laughs) previously with um, 
the actor Haley Joel Osment, who oh. later, you know, became very well known, you know, mm-hmm. on, you know, doing The Sixth Sense, and yeah. Yeah, what a good little actor he was. But I remember buying something like that for him when I was doing Murphy Brown, and I thought, you know what, that would be a nice touch in this scene. And I was thrilled when I saw that there was kind of an emphasis on that by the director at the end because it, it, it i mean your heart goes out to this little boy right you know and it, it kind of emphasizes he is a little little boy and that plays so well the costumes i thought lent to that scene and i have a note here of where i bought uh, the the lady who played nikki Ooh. i bought her blue jeans at macy's and her shirt as well at Macy's. I, I was something that I put together. Now, see, with this, I didn't really have to um, match anything, which was great, you know, from a previous episode, a previous right. season or whatever. I could just do something that um, looked like the period, you know, like right. 1970s. Yeah. So that was, that was a lot easier for me, anyway, to do. And, of course, you know, then we have, you know, the flashback um, of Spike and his mother and Drusilla. And <laughs> I, I wish I could say, I, re- I think uh, Juliet's, uh, Drusilla's mm-hmm. dress yes. came from Fox, I, as I recall. I, 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 I have a memory of opening a box that it was <laughs> stored in. I remember, it's a memory I have. I don't have a note of that. It's just something I have in in my my head. (laughs) Yes, in my brain. And then, of course, assembling uh, James Spike's outfit, that was all all me. And uh, I pulled his look from several different uh, costume houses. United Costume, as I recall, was one of them. I'm looking at my notes here. I thought I had a note on that, but I don't. Did you guys just have that wig in storage? Oh, here it is. Well, now, see, I don't do wigs. Uh, uh, that, okay. would, that would be hair and makeup. So that would be something else. But they, I collaborated with them, mm. you know, on that, of course. And, oh, here it is. I have Spike's uh, uh, shirt. I, I got that at Western Costume. and I, It's like a romantic kind of style shirt, you know, that I wanted for him mm. that – you know, and his uh, his vest as well came from there. I think the vest came from yes, United as well. Oh no, that came from United costume, I believe. But uh, and then the you know just trying to pull together all those pieces. You know, Western costume, the the suit, the pants. Yeah. Um, uh, renting that. That's a, those are rentals. Uh, oh, the for Spike's mother, who is her character name Anne, I believe. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. I remember. I remember fitting her so well because she was <laughs> she was quite a character. I'll just leave it at that. someday, <laughs> someday I'll tell the story, but but it, I mean nothing horrible or anything like that. Uh-huh. But but it was just kind of a, a funny story, you know, in the middle of all this chaos, you know, <laughs> just just. But I remember fitting her, and I remember uh, creating that dressing gown for her okay. that she wears with the lace, and I bought the lace. At FNS Fabrics, I, re- I I have a note on that. It was a dollar twenty nine a yard. I bought several yards of lace, and I bought uh, twill tape to attach the lace to mm. that that dressing gown because the the gown wasn't. It was something basically I took from a different period, but created to look like that period. Okay, 
you know, it was something, sense. yeah, I wanted it to look like that. And her little, um, you know, little lace, uh, caplet or whatever that she wears on top of her head, you know, but oh, yeah, yeah. that, you know, creating that as well. But, um, and then I have a note that I found gloves for Juliet Drusilla at palace costume, a separate costume house. And I rented those for $70 and 36 cents. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but, uh, but of course that was fun to do the flashback, you know, of all that, you know, and to try <laughs> to create the period and, uh, Drusilla's undergarments finally see the whole thing when you do period costume it's the most important thing about and, and my master's degree is in period costume so <laughs> nice the, the most well it, it, it served me well later on because the most important thing I was taught was uh it's all about the undergarments because that is what gives you the the silhouette for that yeah. period and and I have notes here about getting uh the right undergarments for Juliet at uh American costume united costume I think they went by both names or they were in transition at the time okay. American United something like that but um but it was all about finding a bustle for her and all of the right pieces that would you know really tell the story you know of the period yeah. you know so that was that was something I had notes on. And then I have notes about uh, uh, D.B. Woodside, where I bought his shirts, his blue uh, short sleeve shirt that he wears when he, I think that's the one that he takes off when he uh, has the uh, wife beater on underneath. Okay, yeah, yeah. And he's going to you know, do harm to Spike. Uh, that was a DKNY shirt that I bought at uh, Macy's, as I recall. Yeah, Macy's. And the gray shirt that he wears, uh, that also came from Macy's. And uh, the hooded jacket uh, came from Macy's. And, oh, and the little boys, um, oh, the, no, the hooded jacket for the little boy, excuse me, that's right. Uh, that came from Macy's as well, you know, for, for the rain scenes. But I remember the rain scene very well. I remember it was pretty intense that night because it was so cold. And the actors were pretty much freezing. <laughs> uh, you know, and trying to keep them warm with uh, towels and blankets and and everything you can imagine to keep them, uh, you know, from getting sick, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and oh, I then had a oh, this was interesting. I had a little note of uh, the coop earrings that DB Woodside wears. I bought those at uh, Macy's as well, and the zip front jacket that Don wears came from macy's and that was mark jacobs and it was 128 dollars and then i had a note on sarah's cream or the it was a theory jacket that she wears in the in this episode i believe i had a note somewhere i didn't write it down i guess maybe uh oh and i had a note for um oh here here it is sarah's uh yes from Saks fifth avenue the white jacket theory and we i bought multiples of those i think we had three or four of those and those were 175 dollars a piece <laughs> and <laughs> and i got combat boots uh i guess that was probably for the central park scene for spike uh those came from crc but nice. uh, but yeah so but yeah there was um 
a lot of costuming in that episode, but a lot of it was, you know, with attention to the period. So that's what I remember most about doing that episode. And I yes. had just, just a kind of an offhanded note about a vampire, uh, a necktie for a vampire. I bet his suit was just pulled from my stock, but his, his necktie was a DKNY necktie. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that came from Macy's as well. That's funny. $55.98. Wow. But anyway, but yeah, that that's uh, pretty much what I remember about that episode, you know, just trying to um, pull together the period to yeah. do just, justice to that that uh, era, you know, and the flashback. But it, it's, you, it's a really well-written episode, though. It's great. Yeah, episode. yeah. Did you have to... I, doesn't Spike wear the, like, pushpins in this on his, like, shirt? Did you have to do anything with that? Or... I'm trying to remember. I don't. I don't have a, a memory of that. Hmm, all right. Push pins in his like the shirt. Safe, the, safe, the safety pins on his shirt. Ah, yes. That now that does ring a bell. That's right. That's right. I do. I do remember something about doing that, but I don't have any notes on that. Now that you mentioned that, I'd totally forgotten about that. <laughs> you know, I was looking at other things. I guess when I'm watching, you know, I was like. You know, looking at the <laughs> at uh, you know, things that that resonated with me, but that now that you re- mentioned that, yes, of that, well, yeah, I did that. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Safety pins. That's right. That I do recall that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I think there was a note probably handed down to me to do that. Yeah, because that's what he wore. Like when they had the other flashback, he wore is that, that right? Okay, yeah. then that came down from above. Okay, yes. Okay, that's true. But yeah, I probably, uh, well, I still have a lot of the videotapes. They would give me episodes to watch, you know, of past episodes, past seasons. And then, so I have that. And I do have a lot of the rushes from when we filmed these episodes. I have a lot of videotapes from that. Still, I still have those. Oh, nice. I can't believe you still have the like VHS tapes. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I have them in storage. I have them put away. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I, ho- I, ho- I hope they hold up. Who knows? You know, we'll see. But they came, yeah, VHS tapes. And they were uh, given to us in like red sleeves. I remember that, you know. And uh, <laughs> and they would say, you know, it would be interesting to to watch them because I'm sure there's a lot of outtakes on those yeah. on those. Uh, you know, episodes. I should, I should look that up. Actually, I should have looked it up for this episode. I wish I'd had my script. I couldn't find my script for this episode, <laughs> but I'm sure I have one. Pro- I'm sure it's someplace, but I, I don't have it with me. At the yeah. Time, yeah. So. But that, that's pretty much what I remember of this episode. Yeah. Nice. I, I, I mean, I love that you remember so much from these episodes. Well, I try, I, I do my best, you know, to, to, to stir my memory, but, I, but that, the, the memory of driving to that location came to me this morning. I went, I, I thought to myself, well, that was, I remember something about it being such a long drive. It was probably an hour and a half to get there, you know, from, shit, really? yeah, yeah. At that time of day. Yeah. Mm. And I, then it, came back to me i do remember i remember taking mulholland drive and i remember i took i had a way to do that i could take surface streets all the way mulholland to lake hollywood down barham <laughs> drive to zoo to um to forest lawn drive to the zoo and that's hmm. that's that's the route i took yeah i remember that <laughs> Yeah, I love that you remember that. Just to, just to avoid the freeways because they would have been jammed. I mean, it just yeah. would have been, you know, 
totally uh, gridlock, you know. So, but I do I do recall that, and I do remember I remember how wet that scene was, and I remember <laughs> I do remember a producer, John Perry, getting kind of upset because it was so cold and wet. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I I feel like I will never figure out LA traffic. Every time I go, oh my god, I like it's like oh the the lift whatever says it'll be you know <laughs> it'll take twenty minutes and then it's like oh there's traffic. Well, that's what's <laughs> funny because I, I think when I talk talk about this, I should mention oh yeah, if somebody said well that doesn't look very far from Santa Monica right. to there, I'm like well yeah, as the crow flies, it's not, but <laughs> but yeah. boy, try driving it. Yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, from Bergamot Station. That's where our sound stages were over in Santa Monica. I think it was around 26th Street, maybe something like that. Close mm-hmm. to that. Close. Well, maybe 20th Street, something. I forget. But, but yeah, you have to like uh, navigate all that traffic through uh, West LA. And oh gosh, you know, oh that's that's intense. You know, there was once I was like 40, 45 minutes late to lunch. Oh, easily, with friends. easily. Yeah. The, and it was the first time I had been in LA, so I didn't realize. Oh, that's that's how early I had. That's a, that's a stock opening line for many lunches. <laughs> is I'm sorry I'm late. The traffic was terrible. Uh, that's yeah. That's always what you have to say. It was just like you can never, I had, you can never gauge it. You know, it's like, I had to look up on the map, and it was like, oh, you're only 15, 20 minutes, <laughs> but we had to take the highway, and yeah, yeah it was just yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. <laughs> That's true. They were being so embarrassed. And my friends, they were like pretty patient. It was like uh, people I knew from BuzzFeed, but they were like, we do have to get back to work soon. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yeah. But yeah, no, it's fun to look look back at these episodes and like, you know, just see, you know, the little notes. And like I, like I said, I have these binders of where I purchase things. I hope that isn't too boring to people, but, but, no. but it's like uh, – it, it stirs my memory, and then I see, oh yeah, I had to buy that for this little boy because he, you know, right. he, you know, there wasn't anything really available, you know, in stock or anything like that. You have to go buy it and find it. Yeah, and then, like I said, just trying to make it relevant, you know. And I thought the little yellow boots, I, I, I do, yeah, I think made it relevant. So I think so too. Yeah, it's very sweet. All right, Matt. Well, thank you for joining us. You are a delight as always. Oh, thank you so much. It's good to talk to everyone. We'll talk to you later, okay? Okay, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. And now we're going to give our closing remarks favorite outfit. Ellie? Oh, it has to be Anya. (laughs) Not not even a competition. Anya with her polka dots and that swim cap of a beautiful hat. (laughs) Uh, Jim? I'm going to be the outlier here. I'm going to go with Drusilla because I have to. And I I do. You do love Drusilla. Uh, Emily. Anya. <laughs> I, I'm going to agree with everyone. I mean, we said this mid-episode. There aren't a lot of standouts, uh, but I do like um, I, I like what Buffy wears. It's not like my favorite, but I like it. Her like, I think you called it a peasant top. I think she looks cute in those. She wears those a lot this season. Um, favorite scene, Emily. My favorite scene is is the is the horrendously dark scene where his mother tells him in vampire form how yeah. she really feels because I just think it's one of the most spectacular, memorable, disturbing <laughs> leaps ever on the show, and it was brilliantly performed with a whole yeah. bunch of layers. So yeah. that's my favorite scene, but it feels weird to name it as a favorite. <laughs> uh, but it does, yes. But I love it, uh, Ellie. <laughs> 
So I, I will have to say that is my favorite, but since Emily already gave a very, very good answer, I will say it's when um, it's Spike's talk to Robin. Because right. that that's, that is sort of uh, I've, I've used the word catharsis before, but it is a cathartic moment. He he has come to terms with his mom, but also it's it's kind of true about what it must have been like to have a slayer for a mother. Yeah. That their first priority is never going to be you. Yeah, and right. s- sort of seeing all of that be spoken and have it end not with Robin dying, but with Spike showing mercy. Mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty good scene. Pretty good scene. You know, and you are right. I forgot to mention that, like. We we start on his mother saying the mission's important, and we end on Buffy saying to him the yep. mission's what's important. I do yep. like that. Uh, Kim, what was your favorite scene? Uh, I'm going to go weirdly, since I feel like there's a lot of darkness in this episode. I'm going to go with uh, Buffy's banter with Richard in the cemetery. I just, <laughs> it is we good. Needed that. Yeah, yeah, right. We needed it. Um, I, I, I feel like it's cheating because Anya delivers these like three lines perfectly and it has nothing to do with the episode. So I, I I love that, but I'm going to say I'm going to agree with Ellie. Actually, I I like the not quite the ending, but the back and forth of like Spike's mom being cruel, and then uh, you know Robin punching him, and I, I the way that's filmed, I think is like really well done. Um, now we're gonna grade the episode, Emily. I know you hate grading the episode, so you just you say whatever you would like. <laughs> I, I I probably would give it lower, but I'm gonna give it a B because. See, I hate grading things. I can't figure it out. I'm like, maybe it's a B plus because no, it's a B. <laughs> Emily, you are the only guest I allow to not grade. You are allowed to not grade. I, I've written so many pieces about not putting things on top ten lists. Like. <laughs> yeah, I feel. Didn't you used to write a year end like? Yes, not, yes, yes. I remember that. Uh, but finally, I knuckled under to the pressure, so I might as well knuckle under to it here too. <laughs> uh, Ellie, what grade did you this episode? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a C plus. I, I think it doesn't quite it doesn't quite meet B. The beats in it that are good are very good. The beats that are important to the plot are important to the plot, but altogether it it sort of feels like it's an episode that didn't quite achieve what it was trying to achieve. All right. Uh Kim. I feel like I either we either everyone also always gives it either like way better or way less of a, a grade than I think they're going to at the end. It's always surprising. Anyway, I'm gonna go yeah. B plus. All right. Um, and Kim as Kim is the resident professor, so she is a, <laughs> a harsh grader. I'm I'm gonna give it an A. Like it's not a favorite Ooh, episode of mine. Wow. But I really feel like it achieves all of the emotional beats it's trying to achieve. So for me, that's like even if I don't love you know, I would have loved more Anya. I would have loved this. I would have laughed. But I, I do think it nails all of the beats it's trying to nail. So for me, that's why I give it an A. Um I would give it I would give it a B if they had left that scene about Ben and Glorian. Oh yeah, I wish they had a fucking B plus. It's interesting because my B is literally because I think two thirds of it is not interesting to me, but the one third that is is so good that it just pulls the whole thing up so much. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for joining me. Thank you all for listening. If you like Slayer Fest 98, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, anywhere else you get your podcasts. Uh, you can support us on Patreon. We've been going through the Harley Quinn cartoon series. I've also been going through Buffy Season 7 with my mother, in case you want to know what a 75-year-old Puerto Rican thinks of the final season of Buffy. Um, yeah. And if you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98 on all social media platforms. I am Ian X Carlos on all social media platforms. Kim, where can everyone find you? I'm on Twitter at Kim and Joe South. And Ellie, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ellie V. Hall. And Emily, where can everyone find you? 
I'm also on Twitter as Emily Nussbaum. Go. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. 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 Bye.